1: What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. Special episode here. Justin and I were on the show on uh, Sunday night, and we kind of teased a guest, but we didn't want to give it away because we're going to give it away now. We're going to talk about UFC. uh, We're going to talk about UFC 253. We're going to talk about some of the stuff that happened over the weekend, and we're going to do so with our special guest, the AEW... World heavyweight champion John Moxley, what's up, John?
0: I'm uh, just uh, ready to ruin this show and uh, <laughs> just really uh, ruin everybody's day with my uh, ramblings about my uh, my theories on uh, on, the, on the fights that have come recently and are to come. I'm very excited about this, actually. I can tell you are too because you hit the people with a double G. So yeah. that uh, you know, I don't know. They, if know me, do they I don't know if you do that regularly, but you know, <laughs> you're very excited. On, on the guns blazing, double G, babe.
1: On, on the observer, I go by Garrett. I don't want to throw Meltzer off too much, but here, you know, we're a little bit loose. I'll go with double G. Um, but, but also, you know, I mentioned Justin. Justin is here too. Justin's been doing a lot of stuff for us when it comes to the G1. His first uh, G1 cast is out there, and he's going to come back on Wednesday and Thursday with more audio. Justin, what's up? What's going on? All right, Hello. so. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice so, to meet you. <laughs> so, uh, so we're gonna actually get started here, but before we do, I kind of want to, you know, I think people are gonna be like, oh, I didn't know John Moxley was a was a, a big time UFC fan. So, John, like, wh- where do your UFC or MMA roots come from? Like, when did you become a fan of this stuff?
0: Uh, well, probably like a lot of wrestling fans that are uh, MMA fans as well that are around my age when you go to blockbuster video when you're a little kid, you know, next to the wrestling tapes are the original UFC tapes, you know, one, two, three, David versus Goliath, you know, uh, the predator, Don Fry, Tank Abbott, Hoyce Gracie, Ken Shamrock, all that shit. So I've been watching the shit like forever. The pride tapes, you know, are right there. So, uh, I was always, uh, follow and always been a huge fan and, you know, huge uh, respect for the sport and, uh, It's a a very fascinating sport to me. You know, it's the only real sport I follow or pay any attention to. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of a big fan in a way that I like to. I kind of probably do what a lot of wrestling fans do to wrestling. uh, Where I really overanalyze and look at everything like super deep. And I I just get super interested in shit and, and Because it's just, to me, it's the greatest sport in the world. I don't understand how it's, I don't know. Like, I mean, we're recording this on a Sunday night and everybody today was watching football and I got people texting me about football and I'm like, I don't give a fuck about football, dude. Do you you want to talk about last night, Covington-Woodley, or do you want to talk about some stupid ball shit? You know, I I don't know. So I'm just, I'm just a big fan. and I just love, uh, you know, I I respect the athletes and love the sport and I just love uh, delving into it, you
1: know. Yes, you, ac- you actually go back quite a ways. Uh, Justin, I know you're a jujitsu pract- practitioner, or may- or maybe you used to be. I don't know how much oh, you're doing it now. See, but I mean, that's that's kind of like, it feels like
2: an overstatement already. Yeah, I, I studied jujitsu, and uh, when I was living in Japan a couple of years ago, I was uh, sometimes competing for uh, max jujitsu in Kinshio. I, I did like the Hicks and Gracie Cup in 2014 but I'm not, you know, I practice a little bit, but I probably, John probably practices more than me for, cause I heard John, when you were on the observer a couple weeks ago, you were talking about you trained for the G one last year, like a fight camp. And I mean, I did competition teams for like grappling and that's, that's cool. And that's hard, but MMA fight camp is different because striking has different cardio. So like, so just my background is, uh, Mostly a like grappling and, and wrestling club at college and shit like that, but so it's like grappling. I love grappling and uh, talking about John the MMA camp. How is that different? Could you compare that to like a grappling training? Is there any way you could describe it? Uh, well, I was, in terms of intensity or well, I was difficulty, doing, I was doing a little bit of everything. Like for me, I
0: started uh, doing like jiu jitsu and grappling in like 2008. I was doing pretty hard for a couple of years. And, uh, but yeah, at that time I was in Cincinnati and I was in the same place. I was working a regular job and working, you know, Indies and stuff. And as it took off for me, I ended up leaving Cincinnati and I was out couch surfing in Philadelphia and around the country. And as I got more successful in pro wrestling, it just kind of like, got to where like, I have been trained in like, I don't even remember how long. So it was like kind of an off and on thing. I started Extreme tour when I was in Vegas, like 2015, I'd try to get in there on my days off. Like sometimes like right when I land, because that'd be like a Wednesday morning class. So the guys would land, get it out of the way. But as I got more and more beat up and older and as a, the rigors of the road and everything, it just became a thing that like, I'm like, I can't even afford to do that on my day off. That's a big problem for me is like all my, uh, all the things I like to do for recreation are physical things. I like to go hiking, mountain biking, I like to do jitsu, shit like that. And when you get beat up 300 days a year in a row, like it's like, you can't like, I don't, my biggest curse is I don't like video games. That's what I should be doing on my day off. But I, I want to go out there and fucking ride my bike and shit. And like, you know, so it's like, but, uh, you know, that was the thing I definitely, uh, tried to put back into my life when I got more control of my schedule and shit, uh, in the last year. Now though, I feel a little, I'm still a little weird about it. Like the gyms are kind of getting back to like regular classes and stuff. I'm trying to do more just kind of like private hangout chill sessions, like because I'm traveling a fair amount still. And I kind of feel weird about like, cause all the COVID shit, like going into some class with a bunch of people. And like, I don't like if I was patient zero in some like outbreak, that would be fucking weird at some gym. So I don't know. We got in a weird spot, but anyway, like, yeah, I'm just, uh, uh, yeah. I'm any kind of like striking shit, that's I'm fucking terrible at kickboxing and shit like that. I have no natural ability for it. Uh, I was training a bunch for uh, especially because I did this movie called Cage Fighter, where I was supposed to be like the bad guy MMA fighter. And that it's actually coming out in the US in October, at an international release earlier this year, but coming out in October. So I was doing tons of training for that, and like like I realized this so quickly. Like I'm so slow. Like you're, you're like sparring with these dudes who are like professional guys and you know capable guys and i'm like this motherfucker like they're playing with me and we're playing around just for fun or whatever but like and i'm just trying to get techniques down to look good on camera i'm not trying to really punch anybody in the face but i'm like man this dude could punch me in the face 10 times before i can get one shot off like it was really a humbling experience that that you know that whole uh that whole experience but uh it makes you appreciate the uh, these athletes more that you, that you watch on these uh, fight cards that we're going to talk about, you know, that they're just uh, the best athletes in the world.
1: So we have a professional wrestler who trains in MMA and we have a jujitsu guy and I'm a baseball player. So that's how I fit in here.
0: Um, okay, so uh, Dude, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Real quick, I do have respect for the baseball player because, like, I was fucking terrible in Little League. <laughs> I couldn't hit shit. I hated baseball. I was. I have no hand-eye coordination. And like, I see this hundred mile an hour pitch and these major leaguers throwing, they knock it out of the park, five hundred feet. And I'm like, okay, if you throw a hundred mile an hour pitch at me, an eighty mile an hour pitch at me, a fucking seventy mile an hour pitch at me, if I swung the bat and by some ungodly chance i happened to connect it would probably just knock the bat
2: out of my fucking hands (laughs) you know jackass uh, theme playing in the background in my head right now
1: yeah
0: i have mad respect for the 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 minutiae and the skill of of baseball players so don't sell yourself short
1: no it's it's a good sport it's a great hand-eye coordination sport and the i I, you know the most injured i've ever been was was from baseball uh actually against someone who was thrown in the low nineties and I dislocated my kneecap right in the batter's box from impact. So it, that, that, that was not fun, but yeah, baseball. I mean, I played until, you know, my late twenties, early thirties at semi pro leagues and stuff. So I beat up my body a little bit, but not uh, 300 days uh, like yourself. Uh, okay. So, you know, there's been some MMA news or UFC news. Uh, they're going to be, they're going to be back at fight Island. Uh, but one of the things that happened uh, last week is that Michael Chandler joined the the crew, the UFC crew. Uh, Dana White signed him. And I was just kind of interested in what you guys think about the signing and who you would like to see him face. And uh, we'll lead off. Go ahead, John.
0: Uh, I'm super stoked about this. And I was thinking a lot about this. I was kind of predicting, I was, I was like, okay, he's gonna last couple times he's been a free agent. He's kind of circled back and signed with Bellator. But now it's kind of like he's done everything he can do in Bellator. Now's the time. If he was going to make a move, you know, you're not getting any younger. You're in your prime still. I kind of had a feeling he was going to make the jump. And I was thinking about it and was like, all right, well. And it made me think of like Eddie Alvarez, Mirko Krokop, Shogun. It seems like these guys who are the big name free agents come to UFC they kind of tend to seem to me like a lot of them lose their first fight. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's – it's a new environment. It's a different fight week atmosphere. There's a lot of pressure. It's a different cage. Or if it's just a step up of competition. But like in Shogun and Brian uh, Alvarez's case – not Brian Alvarez. Eddie Alvarez's case. (laughs) 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 No. no, Wow. That would be good, though. Eddie Alvarez's case. Shogun and Brian. Yeah, fuck. Book it. GCW Spring Break. No, uh, there you go. In Eddie Alvarez's case and Shogun's case, they lost their first fight to Fourth Griffin and I believe Donald Cerrone, respectively. But they ended up coming back all the way to the title. So you know, but it just seems like they always lose their those big name free agents seem to have a rough go in their first one or two fights. So I was like, you want to avoid this with Chandler, maybe give him kind of a gimme fight. Like you would a boxer kind of build them, build their record and let him get used to the UFC and get fans familiar with him. Like, do you do that? Chandler didn't want that at all. He wanted to go right into the deep end, sink or swim by his own uh, admission. And then I started thinking, well, shit. Cause I'm really pissed that we're not getting Poye and Ferguson on that November card because they both wanted it. The fans want it. They're both incredibly exciting fighters. The fans love them. Uh, Poye, you can say at this point is a draw. You know, you're going to get an exciting fight from him every time. And for whatever reason, I mean, and I'm not saying he should have just taken whatever UFC was going to give him. I understand that you, I mean, if you're going to fight Tony Ferguson and potentially get your face cheese grated by elbows, you should for sure get compensated for that. And it's like the fans want it, Poirier wants it, Ferguson wants it. it. It's the only fight that makes sense for either guy. And how much money are we talking about, Dana? That you just couldn't give Poirier another <laughs> fifty grand? Like that—that that didn't happen. It's just—it's really fucked up. It you know it shows the UFC's business practices and all, you know how that's all. That's a whole another can of worms to open. But then you have Ferguson. It's like okay, who's Ferguson going to fight? He could fight. Dan Hooker, Charles Alvaro. I know they would take. I, I would almost guarantee they would take that fight, either one of them. But you're talking about like I think the number six and seven guys. So, mm-hmm. what do you do if you're Ferguson? You are the number two guy, or the number one or two de facto interim, whatever. You were like right at the top forever. Khabib and Tony was the one and two undisputed forever. Never got a fight. Justin stepped in on short notice. Ferguson, so now he's right below them at like at three. He ostensibly wants to get back to a world title shot. Why would he fight Dan Hooker or Charles Alvaro? What does that do for him? But I don't know his mindset. I don't know if he just fight wants to fight the fight or if he really wants to get the belt back. I don't know. Uh, But then Michael Chandler coming in fresh would be an interesting kind of solution to that because he's a former world champion. If you consider a Bellator's championship, a world championship, a big name uh, in, in a sense. And he's not ranked in the UFC, which is you could say it's a bad thing. You, you want Tony Ferguson to fight an unranked guy. But in another way, you could look at it is. We's, we, he's unranked because he's not proven in UFC. He was in Beltor, so he could be number one or number 15. We don't know. We're going to find out when he fights you. And Tony beats Michael Chandler, not that bad for Michael Chandler. You came in and fought Tony Ferguson in your first fight. As long as he has a good performance of some sort, you know, it's still a good outing for him. And Tony wins. That could, if he came out and had a great performance against Michael Chandler, that could be enough to get him the next title shot. And if Michael Chandler wins, you have a new superstar in that 155 division, which is already the most stacked division. To me, 155 is like the main event division. Kind of like the two hundred five division used to be, kind of the marquee, the Chuck Liddell, Randy Couture division. To me, that's one hundred fifty five now with the Connors and Khabib and Justin and Tony. So, so that was interesting. So I was like, man, mate, I, I was like, I'm gonna try to call this early because sometimes I call shit early. That's why I want to be on a podcast like this because, like, man, I say shit. I called a year in advance that Justin Gaethje was gonna win the title on short notice. Cause he doesn't like to do he said he didn't like to do short notice fights. But I was like, man, the way these 155 fights fall out at the last minute. If you gotta if you're looking for a short notice replacement, you you want somebody that fans aren't gonna be upset about. For a pay-per-view, Justin Gacy's the perfect short notice fighter, cause you're guaranteed a fucking banger every single time because he's a madman. So I was like, man, I bet one of these days somebody in a 155 pound title fight falls out and they call Justin he says, fuck it. And just goes in there and goes, but I, I called it a year ago. Brody Lee can back me up on that because I texted him <laughs> immediately. I said, you remember that shit? I called this shit a year ago. So, So I was like, man, I, I wonder if Tony's going to fight Michael Chandler. I don't know if, but he's going to serve as the backup in case either of those guys falls out which is interesting because I want Gaethje and Khabib to fight as much as I've ever wanted to see any fight in my life. So I hope that it doesn't fall out, uh, hand to God. But if it did, now with this newcomer, it's very interesting because either guy falls out. Now you've got a guy who could potentially, no matter how long the odds are, He could win the UFC title on his first fight. Like, that's a, what a story that is. Like, against either guy, it's very interesting. So, no matter what scenario you're in, the only horrible worst case scenario is all three guys get COVID or get hurt or something and nobody shows up to Abu Dhabi. But we're guaranteed something cool is going to happen on that night, you know? We don't have to hold our fingers and hold our breath, cross our fingers and hold our breath like we do every time Tony and Khabib fight. that something bad is going to happen the week of. As long as two of the three of those guys make it to Fight Island, we're getting something special. So it's uh, it's very exciting.
1: So you, you made a great point with Poirier in that, you know, he, he's got a little bit of leverage now because, you know, I feel like he he's always been the guy who, who's always ready to fight. He always has great fights. So he's sort of the perfect UFC employee in a sense, uh, even though they're not employees. But he got a chance to main event show he got he's gotten a chance to draw a little bit and in in this pandemic the UFC was you know that they needed they they needed for their partner for for ESPN for their TV partner they needed their uh, fighters to really be partners here and like look we know it's scary but and we know you guys want to fight let's figure out a way to do this and so I feel like in this pandemic Dustin Poirier kind of made himself into a star but if you're Dana White and you go, OK, like you, you sold some pay-per-views for us. Great. We appreciate it. But we have no fans. So what what is he really as a draw? And so, you know, I kind of wonder with Poirier, is he using that leverage to, to hopefully to, you know, to get more money? And I'm all I'm all for that, you know, for fighters to to get what they're worth. But at the same time, you know, if you're Dana White and you're like, mm, you know, we still don't have gates. What are we doing here? Like to me, they they, they would have the money. They have the money to pay these guys really whatever they want. But I wonder, you know, in Dana White's mind, in the pandemic, everyone's at home. What else are they going to do? He, I wonder if he thinks about it that way and doesn't really see Poirier truly as sort of the star that he's become during this time frame. I think it's pretty interesting. Justin, do you have any thoughts on that?
2: On poyer and ferguson and that business or on chandler
1: uh, all of it well
2: with the the ferguson fight i don't have any answers for that that's like over the years it's turning into this like this algebra this crazy algebra formula like, then there's no answer there's never gonna be this fight i don't know how it's gonna happen um so i have nothing more to add on that but with chandler what john said earlier about um when these kind of fighters like the stars from the outside come to ufc there is a tendency or like a pattern for these guys to kind of choke or, or do something so they're not the same like fighters they were outside the ufc it's like the crow Cop effect remember when Krokop came to ufc he was like a totally different. What was I forget who his first fight was? Was it Czech Congo or something? Gabe, Gabriel Gonzaga kicked yeah, Gonzaga, that's, that's right. That's who it
1: was? It's exactly two thousand
2: seven, two thousand six, or something. He was like kind of like right off that Pride peak where he was just destroying people in the early two thousands, and he was a huge star in Japan, and uh, and then he came to UFC, and it was, I don't, I never fully understood why that happened. I don't know if is it the octagon because he was fighting in a ring, but. I don't think that would apply in uh, this case here for Shand- for Chandler. I mean, and also, I mean, he, he's the stand-in for Khabib, the Khabib fight. And do you, does he really feel confident? in? is that what he wants to do? I mean, because like John said, why not just do a tune-up fight? What's the – I don't understand. It,
1: I wonder if in his agreement with Dana White, you know – Part of sure. that is like, look, we, 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 we need main events. We want to put you, we think you're a main eventer. We want to put you in something big. And I wonder if that's part of the, you know, part of the contract there. He it said, he's,
2: just, Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: Oh, he said himself. He said, I want to sink or swim. I don't want to fucking climb the rankings out. Throw me in right in the deep end. That was Michael Chandler's own quote. He said, I want to sink or swim, throw me in there. So this is what he
1: wants. So, I mean, I, I mean, I mean if you're the boss, that's what you want to hear too.
2: That's true. It's just I think a lot of people, a lot of fa- UFC fans tend to use that first fight in the UFC. They re- they judge. It. They kind of overjudge it. They kind of use that against you. So if it's like if you drop it, you're. It's a little different than just
1: kind of a regular loss. It's the, the stakes are higher for Chandler. Yeah, and I and I think that's what some of it is, which is what just what you said is that when you come into the UFC, the stakes are a little bit higher. Though, I, you know, as far as the Crow Cup thing, like he he was a gigantic star in another company where MMA was just as popular, even maybe more popular for his time than it was here in the U.S. So that I, I think there were other things involved with that one. But for someone like uh, like Chandler, the UFC, uh, they're they're going to give him. Much more, you know, much better competition, but he's he's you know he is at a point in his career where he's he's a vet, so it's either if he if he does not look great, it's going to be either because he's he's so uh, cage weary as, as a vet. Um, I think that would be more so a reason for him to not step up to the plate because but also because he's such a veteran, he probably, you know, the, the bright lights in the UFC may not be as big as as other guys because, you know, Chandler was he was the number one guy in his company. So that that that'll be an interesting thing to look at, because I know that people do think that I don't know if it's a curse or whatever, but that there could be something related to, you know, first fights in the UFC like John was talking about. All right, let's step away from our UFC conversation with John Moxley and Justin Nipper, and let's talk about Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our uh, our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best available offer anywhere. So go right now, Indeed.com slash Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer is valid through September 30th. Back to the show. John had mentioned, you know, going to Blockbuster Video and all that. And, you know, I I, I was a former employee of Blockbuster Video when I was oh, in man. college. So I have a lot of a lot, like brings back a, a lot of good memories. But John, you know, when you were watching a lot of that stuff from from back in the day, um, you know, there were always like, you know, they were pitting, you know, when is this big fight going to happen? You mentioned Chuck and Randy, like that's the first really big fight that I remember. Like, oh, I can't wait to see that. Are there any more dream matches out there for you? You know, we talk Michael Chandler coming to the UFC that creates new matchups. There's talk of Nick Diaz coming back to the UFC and Nick Diaz spans, you know, a long time frame of when he first started, like the UFC that he first started in is way different than the UFC that that is in now. Like, are there still fights out there where you're like, oh, I've always wanted to see this fight and there's this possibility that it can still happen?
0: Uh, well, the, mo- the most exciting type of dream match is one you didn't even realize you wanted to see and you never thought about it until as soon as you hear it, you go, oh, that would be fucking nuts. So we're talking about, like, Chandler, or, uh, who does Ferguson fight? Because he can't... Is he going to fight the number six or seven? The only fight that truly makes sense for him from a ranking standpoint, not that it's always about rankings, but the only fight that really makes sense for Ferguson... Is Poirier, and for whatever mm-hmm. reason, that's not happening. So, like, just theoretically, you want to get fucking weird. And we can't, I mean, until it happens, you can't believe it's ha- I mean, he hasn't won since 2011. He hasn't fought in five years. But if Nick Diaz is truly coming back, what about, like, you want to get fucking weird? What about, like, Tony Ferguson, Nick Diaz at 165, like, catch weight mm-hmm. at 170? I don't know if Diaz can make 155 anymore. But, like, what the fuck? That'd be nuts, right? That'd be some wild shit. <laughs> like, you, but, and like, that would be a thing where you could, it's a big enough name to where it's not really a step down for Ferguson. It might, it'd probably be his biggest match ever from a box office standpoint. And uh, I have no idea who Nick Diaz would
1: have in his mind, but like, that's a wacky thing he could do, you know? I mean, he probably has Connor in his mind, which is who everybody has in their mind when it comes to that. Like, you know, Nick Diaz is only going to fight for big purses, I I would imagine.
0: I don't know. I feel like he I think because that's an unsettled rivalry that him and Nate split one and one. Uh, You could argue that Nate won the second fight. I didn't think so. When I initially watched it, I watched it again like a year later. And tried to be unbiased as possible about it because I'm a Nate Diaz fan, and completely unbiased, I thought Nate won, mm-hmm. but it was so close you could call it either way. But they, so they split, and that's kind of unfinished business for Nate. I don't think Nick would ever fight Connor for that reason, or probably even Masvidal for that reason, because they they're got the whole they got the loyalty thing, and the you know they're they're not going to step on each other's uh, stuff. I, I don't think. So hey, I, here, my, here's a, even though the brother revenge thing would be a great storyline, I don't think Nick would ever fight Connor.
1: Here's a question. Now GSP's name gets thrown out there pretty much once every three or four months, just because he's GSP and, you know, he, he's not too old to where he couldn't come back, but he's still got that prestige in his name. Um, you know, there, there are fights if he did want to come back, that would be for him, you know, the any anywhere from Connor to Usman. Um, you know, we've heard stuff about that historically, would something with GSP uh be of interest in any way like like did you do you look at GSP and go, Oh, that, that's a dream fight, GSP versus X?
0: Oh, GSP versus anybody is a dream fight. That's like, hell yeah, sign me up. But I don't, think he, I don't think he's coming back. Theoretically, I guess if it was like, all right, he wants to come back and win a third belt and he thinks he can make 55 and he's going to go against Beeb, I guess I could see it. But I think he came back uh, a couple years ago when he came back. I think yeah. he came back because he thought he could beat Michael Bisping and be a two-division champion. I think he specifically thought, like, well, I could beat Bisping and they'll give me the fight. And he just came in, beat Bisping, peaced out. I don't think. I mean, if he really's got a hankering to fight Khabib, maybe. But I, like, you think fucking GSP is gonna get off his couch in his beautiful mansion in Montreal and fucking <laughs> and get his ass driven up in the cage by fucking Kamar Usman? No, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: fuck no. He's not doing that. He's he's good, and I don't blame him. And if he wanted to, I'm fuck like, sign me up. But I, and that's not any kind of insult to GSP. I just I don't I don't think he's coming back. And I'm, no. I'm, 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 until I see same thing with Diaz. Until I see it, I'm not gonna waste you know too much time thinking about it. Although there's interesting matchups. There's another one for you, Nick Diaz and Colby Covington, because strangely Colby Covington kind of has developed into that Diaz style of the mm-hmm. heavy, heavy volume and the high cardio. And oh yeah. The, uh, it, 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 but he has wrestling, so yeah, that that'd be real interesting.
1: Um, the the one that I always wanted and this would have been you know three or four years ago when Kane Velazquez was still Kane after John Jones beat uh Cormier uh, I think it was the second time I thought I would have loved to see Jones step up in weight and face Kane because I thought Kane uh, the the Kane Velazquez when he was still great I thought would would have been the one um the one guy that John Jones could not have just, you know, pretty much used his, all of his skill sets to beat. Cause Kane had, Kane was so good in certain areas that John couldn't just do the things that he did. But unfortunately, you know, Kane, lots of injuries and stuff, but Jones is still out there. Like is Jones and Stipe something that you're interested in seeing? Oh,
0: Jones and heavyweight, like take my fucking money. Like whoever, against Stipe, Lesnar, like, I mean, I guess it would be one of those two. That'd be the only options at this point, right? I, I mean, if he's, it's seemingly that's what he wants. So, or like Jones and Ganu? Dude, how, that's, <laughs> a, that is some interesting shit. Cause now he's stepping oh, yeah. up. Now he has, now he has a weight and a side. Just, just the fact that he stepped up a weight class now is a potential vulnerability. But does his skill set negate the, uh, the size difference of the, I mean, put him against like a guy like an Nganu, it's like that is some super interesting shit. Oh yeah, does, does just the Godzilla like power negate his greatest of all time skill set? And yeah, I mean Jones is a big motherfucker; he's not small, you know. So that, that that's real interesting.
1: And I mean, the interesting thing to me with Jones is is that I think you know Jones Jones is a very smart fighter. And I think he knows that as he gets a little bit older, you know, fighting at two oh five with with these these guys coming up, you know, like Dominic Reyes. I don't know. I don't know how you scored that fight, but knowing that, okay, if I if I go up, some of these guys will be a little bit more of a sit and duck than some young hungry fighter like like Dominic Reyes who was in his prime. So I think he's smartly doing this, um, but he also. You know he also doesn't have to really take anything, but the best fights. And I see him. Here, here's an interesting comparison for you. Um, I, I don't. I, I don't think you're that big of a boxing fan, but when um, Sugar Ray Leonard in in the '80s, Marvin Hagler was always, always, always trying to get this fight with Sugar Ray Leonard because Hagler was kind of the the guy who was the best fighter, but nobody would fight him, and he never really made that big payday. And at some point, Sugar Ray retires. Hagler thinks he's going to get the fight. Doesn't happen. So Sugar Ray comes back uh, later in his career, and he sees Hagler slowing down. And he's like, "Okay, I got him." And so they have what at the point was you know one of the biggest fights of all time, and Sugar Ray ekes out the victory. I see Jones thinking in that way, like, "Okay, this this is there's more of a uh, risk in losing to Dominic Reyes." Because he's not this gigantic name, but I think I can beat Francis Ngannou. I think I can beat uh, Overeem. I think I can beat Stipe because of some of the uh, the athletic gifts that he may have. Those guys aren't going to be as slick as someone like Dominic Reyes is, and so he'll utilize different skill sets. I truly think that that's kind of where his head is at. Because I, you know he's he's one of the smartest fighters of all time. No matter what you think about him, sort of outside the cage.
0: Yeah, that and he's kind of got nothing to lose if he goes up to heavyweight. He goes up to heavyweight and gets starts by Nganu, and then we get to think anything less of him. Like, no, he's the greatest light heavyweight of all time. Took a risk, went up in weight, got knocked out by this giant dude. Yeah, like, so kind of, I don't think anybody could fault him for giving it a shot, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. All right, so we're going to talk about UFC 253 in a, in a bit, um, but I want to talk about the Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley show that uh, happened on Saturday, and I know that you uh, were very interested in that fight. H- how disappointed were you in Woodley's performance? Uh, man,
0: let me preface this by, you know, I was looking at the line, you know. I think Woodley was a plus 270 underdog. So I'm like, man, that seems a little much to me, a little egregious considering he only needs one punch, man. Tyron Woodley needs one punch and not like a lucky punch, not like, oh, it's a puncher's chance. No, it's a fucking Tyron Woodley punch. Like yep. that's, he needs one. Yep. So seemed a little much to me, but so, but I was like, eh, you know, so in a situation like that, just for fun, I'm not a big gambler, but you know, sometimes I'll, you know, I live in Vegas, so it's really easy. Yeah, I go to my neighborhood little casino here and, you know, throw a couple bucks down just to make it a more fun experience, get some skin in the game. Uh, I also put like, I also put some down on cowboy out of a sentimental (laughs) going for it. But I I he one of
2: your favorites. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, everybody's yeah. I ended up losing 300 on the whole night, but anyway, but I was thinking, you know, I mean, we watched him just kind of be, I mean, Tyler Woodley's like one of the most frustrating fighters Ever, if you're a fan of his, and you because like we've sat and, through 15 rounds over the last year of Tyron Woodley just with this nuclear weapon in his right hand, and he just won't uncork it for whatever reason. And he just, just seemed listless and like he doesn't want to be there, and uh, I I don't know what it is, you know. And I thought I was really hoping I'm like because he Woodley likes to get backed up against the cage and fire out the cage. And you know Covington's going to pressure him right off the bat. And uh, Covington doesn't really throw with power. So Covington wants to be there the full 25 minutes in your face. So it's he's going to have 25 minutes. All he's got to do is pull the trigger once. And it's just like he never did. And uh, no uh, no disrespect to Covington, who had, who had a great fight. Uh, but I think even if Covington could do it again, nobody would show Woodley even less respect. And even turn up the volume even more than he did, but uh, but he, he but even he was wary of the you know the the right hand bomb that could come. I think if he could do it again, he'd probably be like, ah, I didn't come and fuck it, and just be in his face even more. Maybe even go for a finish. But it seemed like after that first takedown in the first round, he was scared of getting taken down, and just like it was the same story as the last two fights. Just and I figured like with the uh, personal animosity, maybe now he would really want to pull the trigger, but. It just, I don't really know what to make of it. It's just kind of like, he doesn't want to be there. And uh, I think a lot of the thing with Woodley is mental. Uh, I remember watching like the thing leading up to him and Robbie Lawler where they mm-hmm. fought and he was doing, he had like a mental coach, like a sports psychologist. And he was like, yeah, I'm working with a sports psychologist and he's giving me his affirmations and stuff like that whatever. and whatever. I think he went out and starched Lawler and then, but it was like as soon as he won the title, it was like he changed his mindset changed or something. I don't know if anybody agrees or even knows what I'm talking about. But it was like, it was like he, the fans kind of soured on him a little bit because he immediately started talking about like money fights with like mm-hmm. Nick Diaz or whoever and, and GSP or whatever. And people are like, oh, what? it was like all of a sudden he's tried to play some kind of role. And his fights became, like, defensive, like, he's, like, defending the title more so than, you know, like, the, the Wonder Boy fight and uh, the Damian Maia fight, uh, where he's just kind of like, you have to take it away from me, but I'm not going to try to take you out kind of mentality. And he's clearly, when you see him in interviews and stuff, he's clearly gets, like, irked by things people say on the Internet or things the media says, like, it's like he's really in his own head. And I think that's like what's affected is I think ultimately that snowballed and affected his performance over the last couple of years. Like he's not out there trying to take people's heads off, uh, I think. But, you know, I, I was rooting for him and I wanted him to take Colby Cummings head off. And it just it never never came. And I, and I don't know if anybody else feels the same way. But I, it was very frustrating to watch because I was just like, come on, man, like,
1: <laughs>
0: come on, like. Especially like the last three fights when it's like, okay, you're going to the fourth or fifth round, you know, you're losing, like, just go for it, dude. You know, like have some sense of urgency, but he just looks like he does like, you know, he's involved in a bunch of other stuff doing movies and music and stuff like that. Maybe he's just like mentally not out of it. And we do when you're in there with a guy like Covington, Covington wants to be there. Covington has so much confidence and he cannot wait for that bell to ring I mean, think whatever you want about him as a person, whatever. Uh, he's a douche or whatever. Cool. But when that bell rings, he's attacking and attacking and attacking for 25 minutes. Like he wants to be in a dogfight. And Woodley just seemed like he didn't want to be there for the third straight fight.
1: So I wonder, I think some of it is, you know, Woodley's now like 38. And, and he, he he was a, a little bit of a late starter, you know, when it comes to age. But, you know, for the last... You know for the last few years he's 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 fought a decent amount and he's been in you know some really big fights really long fights lots of five round uh fights but i wonder because sometimes you see this happen which is you know you set you set the goal of i want to be the champ and you get there and when you get there it's like okay like now my world is supposed to change and things are supposed to be great and you're like no now i gotta defend this thing and, uh, I always call back to, uh, one of my favorite movies, Rocky three and, uh, Mick Rocky's trainer goes, you know, the worst thing that happened to you could happen to, to any, any fighter is that you became civilized, like meaning you won the title and now you're way more worried about looking good, about, you know, what you have to do business-wise and you're not really, you don't have that same hunger anymore as you did when you were the challenger. So that's an interesting perspective. Uh, It's not, you know, Rocky got it from real sports. It's not like they, this made up thing. but. I, I do wonder, you know, when you do get to that peak, when you do get to that promised land, like defending the GSP, so we say, you know, defending this thing is, is just way harder than it was ever to win the thing because there's so much more pressure on you as an athlete to, you know, to def- sort of like be the face of the company and, and all that. So I wonder if some of that was also there, but you're right, like Covington, you know, the thing the, the when I realized that Woodley didn't have it is uh, Covington throws like this really loopy, overextending left hand and when he missed he was like wide open for just body shots and i so you know he he misses that shot and i'm like okay woodley's got to go body 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 and then circle around Woodley didn't do anything so i'm just like like he's giving you an open opportunity to really open up on him and you're just not taking it like like you said, couldn't pull the trigger. So I was super disappointed in the fight too. But, you know, by the end of the first round, I was like, okay, this is this is what it is. We saw this the last two fights and he, he there's nothing that's going to change that. So uh, I, I was disappointed, but, you know, Col- Colby was going to win that fight pretty much from the first round on, I thought. And, you know, Wood- Woodley, unfortunately, you know, hurt his rib on on whatever that, that was and he had to get out of there. But, uh, you know, it, it it wasn't his night. And I don't, I don't know, like, what do you think about him? You know, it's not my you know my uh, opinion or whatever to say people should retire but you kind of worry you start worrying about guys who you enjoyed watching when they go in there and you know that they're just not the same guy anymore i mean i think from people who uh are more
0: experts on it than me it seems like if you are going to step in that cage you need to really want to step in that cage yeah Otherwise, you're really risking your health. This is, you know, this isn't like clocking into a nine to five. Like, well, gotta pay the bills, better do that. I mean, for some people, it is, but it's like, dude, you're risk you're risking getting your brain melted with a head kick every time you go out there. So, I mean,
1: he's uh, just gotta think about where he's at mentally. I don't know. All right, let's take another break from the UFC discussion with John Moxley to talk about Bet Online. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year. But you can still be on, in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Also, don't forget, Big UFC show. This weekend, and you can bet on all the uh, the UFC fights on, on the card. So head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That is BLUEWIRE, all in one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And now let's get back to the show. The weird thing about it was Nico Price celebrated the, the draw like he won <laughs> a Super
0: Bowl, which I thought was a little weird.
1: Yeah, that I don't know it was, it was kind of like he was just sort of happy to you know happy to be in there with them. I don't know it was kind of it was kind of a weird uh thing especially in in MMA but um okay so another another uh thing that I was looking at kind of wanted your opinion on um the uh the uh the the the, the new Khabib uh Sh- Shema- Shemaev? I I always screw up his name. But just the one-shot knockout, I was like, he's call, he called his shot. And it just oh. destroyed Mishar, I mean, who's a good fighter. And it was, like, ridiculous.
0: For him, I mean, what we know about him is he's a smothering grappler so far against, you know, like, one dude who was, like, in his UFC debut and the other dude I think was one in four. So against uh, whose name I always screw up, but Marshart, Marsh yeah. Marshart, Uh I mean, that that's a pretty well-respected, well-traveled veteran, pretty successful veteran of the sport it couldn't have gone any better for him. He literally threw one punch and knocked him out. But it's like, it it was so successful so quickly that it's still almost like we don't know much about him. Like it's almost like we need to see him against, we need to keep giving him better competition to like figure out where he's at. I mean, that it was just so, it was so quick that you, you didn't really get to see him get in any kind of deep exchanges or come back from anything or, but maybe that's, I, I don't know. Maybe that's an even better sign that he's just going to be taking motherfuckers out in 17 seconds. I don't know.
1: And then uh, Johnny Walker, I thought Johnny Walker was going to be out. I, I watched uh, uh, Ryan Span, it almost sort of like, okay, like this is how you beat Johnny Walker. And then all of a sudden, you know, they both punch each other in the face at the same time. And it looked like Walker got the worst of it. And then Span kind of gasses out a little bit and Johnny hits these nasty elbows to the side of the head and these hammer fists to the side of the head. And span just goes out like that was impressive. But at the same time, you know, Johnny didn't look great up until that that moment. So the people who, uh, you know, who think that Walker maybe was a little overrated because he came in and was knocking guys out. I, I was not convinced that uh, he had somehow, you know, figured figured out how to, you know, fig- figured whatever out w- what was the problem. But I mean, still coming back the way that he did showed a lot. Yeah, I fucking
0: love Johnny Walker. I got no problem, no problem with it. Uh, I mean, a couple years ago or whatever, we were when he was on it when he came in on a three-fight streak. You know, you're still looking for somebody to beat Jones. You're like, maybe this is the guy. This is the fucking truth. Johnny Walker was spinning shit. Hell yeah, but you know, he has ups and downs, and uh, that's a typical Johnny Walker fight. It's just gonna be fucking wild, and he's unorthodox and crazy. It's gonna get it's gonna get weird. You're not gonna be able to. You have to kind of dictate your regular pace and style on him. Like the guys have been able to just take him down and grind him out and make him look normal. But if you're going to, if you're going to be standing with him, some weird shit could happen at any time. (laughs) He might do a rolling thunder kick or some shit. Uh, The weird thing about it to me, well, it's a little controversial with the, I think his corner had some problems with the possibly the elbow in the back of the head. And it, you know, definitely questionable. To me, it looked, it looked like. It legit. It looked right on the temple to me.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: My my question, though, to somebody who would know better than me, I don't know if either of you guys know, like in the official rule book, that's that's not a 12 to 6 elbow. The L 12 to 6 elbow has to be the top of the head.
1: Yeah, uh, from up to down. Because there's it, it a 12 to 6 elbow, but his
0: opponent's just in a different spot.
1: Right, right. I see what you're saying. So, like. The twelve to six level to the temple is legal, but at the
0: top of the head is not legal.
1: Yeah, I wonder. I wonder about the angle. Uh, you know, if it would if it would be a true 12 six. Yeah, that, that's a good question. Well, I, I guess, I I guess if know. he was
0: bent over, it would be going horizontal. But if his opponent's bent over too, then what's the difference? I don't know. This is first somebody above my pay grade. <laughs>
1: Um, okay, so uh, I think Justin might be back on. So we'll bring him on for this question if he is. Uh, Mackenzie Dern, who I really enjoy watching because I think she's like this, um, she's like this uh, baby giraffe. Like she's got, you can tell her ground game is awesome, but her striking game has been really terrible at times. And she's trying to put it together. And, you know, maybe she's hasn't been as uh, serious about her training and, and the dieting and stuff in the past. She, you know, she's a, she's a young woman. But now, you know, she's a mom. And this is her second fight in a row uh, after giving birth. And she's had two very impressive wins. But uh, I was just kind of interested in Justin's um, opinion about the uh about the um Ren Marcos uh just kind of giving her the ground and saying come back uh come down to the ground actually I, I don't think Justin is is uh back on but um what did you think about that like obviously everyone knows Mackenzie Dern like where she wants to be yeah I don't I, don't, I thought I saw him on here but I don't think I see
0: him anymore but I don't know he,
1: he's still having some troubles uh yeah just worst
0: mistake uh like now I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but uh worst mistake she could have made going yeah. around with world champion Brazilian. Like she made it look easy, just like thinking ten steps ahead. Uh if you if you saw her post fight interview, she was talking about, I believe she was talking about the things she had in her head she wanted to do. She wanted to like see if she could pull off a submission that had never been done by a woman in the UFC before. But you know, she ended up arm her. But but just that it's like a child and an adult, when you get to the ground with her, is just you. You should have done it. Might I mean, looking at it now, like she should have done everything she could have: bucked her off, scrambled, literally ran away. Anything you could do to not go to the ground with Mackenzie Dern probably would have been a better uh, course of action. Because what what she was trapped, it was just like quicksand, and at no point at no point was she. Not in complete control, you know.
1: Yeah, just the transition from the armbar to a different angle on the armbar to a different angle on the armbar. That stuff was amazing. Like, I, I, what, a I, beautiful, I,
0: what a beautiful thing to watch, too. Yeah, I, lo- no. I love watching high level grappling like that. I love watching scrambles and and I love watching people go from option A to B to C to finish. And like just watching that stuff to me, like that's as exciting as a crazy firefight knockout to me. Right.
1: Yeah. No, it's, it, it is amazing. It is you know, for me, like I marvel at it because it looks, It it's like, it's almost like in another sport, just like running a play to perfection or maybe even having to improvise a play. Because when she's down there, you could see her trying to set one thing up and then, it doesn't work, and but she immediately goes to something else, and this is just all great grapplers, not just Mackenzie Dern, but just the idea that you know you can, you, you're just so repetition, repetition, repetition that you know where to go if one small thing isn't necessarily working, you know the way that it that that it, it's supposed to, like that that stuff to me. Is really amazing, and and you know, not being, not having ever taken a jujitsu class, I can watch that stuff and go like, this stuff is ridiculous.
0: Yeah, she's in the matrix when she's down there. She's not like everything ends in slow motion to her. She sees everything, like the bullets are in slow motion. She grabs them out of the air with her fingers and moves them around. Like she's totally in the matrix when she's down there. Daniel Cormier is like that with his wrestling a lot. When Mm he when he sees a single leg and he tries the first way and then he moves to option number two, which is a trip or whatever, and I love watching little shit like that. uh, Like pops me to no end to watch like super masters that work like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So okay, so I kind of teased uh, this to uh, people in our in our fight game podcast Facebook group. I said, "Hey, good shot. I'm going to talk to John. It's going to be about." the UFC, but he agreed that I could ask one pro wrestling question. So this pro wrestling question, this one pro wrestling question is going to be sponsored by bet online. And then we're going to get into the UFC 253 preview, but the one pro wrestling question is about, um, so it was announced on, uh, would have been Friday or Saturday. Uh, that you were going to be on the Bloodsport show. Josh Barnett tweeted it out. Uh, I believe it's October 11th?
0: Correct. October 11th in Indianapolis, if you're anywhere near there, if there's even tickets available anymore.
1: And I think it's going to be available on Fight TV if you if you aren't. So yeah, Fight TV. That'll be really cool. Uh, it's going to be a really cool show to watch. I was at the Bloodsport show WrestleMania 35 weekend. Was that that Was that the one that you checked out?
0: I was the one in Jersey.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, I was there. Yeah, so that that was, the way that that building was, it was kind of interesting, because if you were on the second floor, you could see, and if you were on the first floor, you couldn't see, because people were standing right in front of you, but we were in the second floor, uh, the little raised area, and so you could see everything, and it was just, uh, it was really, really cool stuff, uh, but that style of fi- uh, of wrestling so this question is sort of related to that, but I wanted to mention that because I just saw the news. but uh, Damien Gonzalez asked, what aspects of MMA should pro wrestling incorporate, either in presentation or promotion that it hasn't? And then vice versa, if you think there's, there's things MMA could learn from pro wrestling?
0: Um, it's interesting because in a lot of the way in a lot of ways, it's the same business. I remember, uh, in like 2006, maybe I was at the HWA school hanging out in the office or something. Uh, and, uh, less was there coming through, hanging out. And right around this time, it was like kind of fresh off the ultimate fighter. When, mm-hmm. uh, when you kind of blew up and, uh, like in the mainstream where people are talking about it, you know, and, on Spike TV and stuff like that. And they're, you know, they're doing the simple promos. Like I hate Ken Shamrock. I hate Tito Ortiz. Fuck you. We're going to fight live on Spike TV. That simple. And like nobody's, uh, pulling a cord and green goo is falling from the ceiling on the bad guys or anything like that. Nobody's blowing up limos, you know, like, it's just like, fuck you, fuck you. We're going to fight. And Les was there and he was like, yeah, it was just, he was at some legends convention or some shit. Yeah. I was just, we were talking about UFC and he's like, hey, I was talking with Terry Funk and you know, Terry says, you know, you know we're talking about, it. he goes, less. what does it remind you of? And he goes, what? He says, it's our business.
1: <laughs>
0: they're doing our business and we're not doing it anymore or something like that. But Terry Funk was like, it's our business is what they're doing. Just Terry Funk cuts a promo. Dusty Rhodes cuts a promo. We meet in the ring get your tickets where the fairgrounds this Saturday night, you know? So in a lot of ways it's the same shit. I lo- I like the sports based presentation. I like uh personality pieces and shit. Uh, I heard a lot of good things about what ROH has done recently with the pure tournament, but I, I haven't got to just to watch it yet.
1: Yeah, me uh, too.
0: Same, uh, but I, but I heard it was like pretty cool and like that. I love shit like that. I like the, the sports style. Uh, uh, I love basic ass, basic ass promos and, basic ass stories and, and violent matches and uh, not necessarily, I don't mean you know glass and fire when I say violent, even though it can be that sometimes, you know, cause I like that shit too. But, uh, you know, that's, that's what I loved about the blood sports. show in Jersey, that was the first, uh, indie show I'd been to, or even really paid any attention to in years. I hadn't been to an indie show or been in that environment in years, years and years. And I walked in and I'm like, I'm laying low. You know, I went with, William Regal, and my buddy, Robert Anthony was there. We're watching it. He's kind of telling, he's kind of filling me in, in the balcony on some of who these people are, you know, some of the people I wasn't familiar with. A lot of people, it's the first time I'd ever seen him work. And, you know, it was just like, I was just like, I fucking love this so much. Like, I love this fucking fans. I love this presentation. I love this style. It's like, everybody's here to fight. It's It's aggressive, it's violent. It's fucking testosterone, adrenaline, energy. Like, this is wrestling. There's no bullshit. Nobody's talking on the mic for the, the nobody, you know, nobody's. There's no. I was like, oh, but I was like, this is where I fucking belong. Like, I miss this so fucking much, you know? And uh, Ro- Robert Anthony says to me, I think we were watching Kill Across and Davey Boy Smith, which was a great match from that show. David Boy Smith gives him a fucking slap in the fucking face like a goddamn gunshot fucking went off he hits him so fucking hard or or at least create the illusion that he did if he's that skilled but yeah you know, i wouldn't want to fucking test it out and you know we're just like this is so physical this fucking shit's awesome like i'm love digging this show and he goes man you think and at this point we knew i was pretty much going to be free and clear agent here soon and he was like man would you do this show and i was like I have to do this show. <laughs> and he was like, oh shit, it's on. Like, I was like, we'll get to it later. And I still got a few more months. But, uh, so I was excited about that. Uh, one thing I think uh, Pro Wrestling could do uh, is just straight up knockout finishes more. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, the dude's out. Just get out, you know, you don't even have to pin him. He's out. Like, I could... I'm totally into that uh, because blood sport does that, you know, like Nina face. He's done. It's so like fucking it's over. You know, like I think that could be especially with uh, I think uh, there was a discussion recently. I was hearing about about that. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like with all this concussion stuff and everything lately that, you know, people are talking about, like. I could see that being implemented more and more to be aware. You just fucking kick a guy in the head. It's over. Like and if, if you get it. Uh, get the audience to uh, become accustomed to that like the blood sport audience already is WWE audience that would take a long time AEW probably same thing but like and the, you know the different styles of wrestling and yeah I don't know but I mean I, I could see that being a thing to uh to incorporate you know just kind of a uh, when dude's out he's out and no need no need to pin him you know like it's just it's over or like just uh like I beat Brody Lee with a choke. And just he went out and it's over. Like no no controversy. It's like he's just old. Oh, it's out. He's out. It's done. You know? Simple as that. I think we could maybe try and, you know, see if we can incorporate a little bit more of that here, you know, in wrestling.
1: So the person who I usually do this show with, we do a Thursday. Thursday evening show, we talk about AEW and NXT and all that. He actually ran a promotion out here in the Bay Area called Premiere. He had booked um, APW, the which is like the Bay Area's in number one indie for a while, and then he kind of branched off and he wanted to do something a little bit more sports based, a little bit more serious, and he incorporated the knockout finishes. And you can you can imagine like an indie crowd, you know, there's 150 people there. Because a lot of them were, you know, a lot of them watch WWE, it took like a few shows of of the knockout finishes for people to really sort of understand it. And it, 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 the funny thing is that this is not funny, but because we were not used to it, what the fans thought was, oh, the person got knocked out for real and they have a concussion and we need to get a like a, you know, a doctor or an ambulance or something like that's what the the perception was is like, "Uh oh, something for real happen and that's kind of what you want right like you want that you want that little suspension of disbelief to be there in moments like that
0: yeah exactly I think that's what they've accomplished it on those shows is kind of like oh for like a second you kind of forget that it's kind I mean you know it's they're probably but but some of it's just so convincing you don't really know so you know I think that's the uh that's the goal I think that could be helpful you know
1: um, okay, so one other thing, um, I think the show the the show that got canceled that wasn't that uh, that because of the pandemic. I think Jeff Cobb was supposed to face a guy by the name of Jr. Kratos. I don't know if I, I, I haven't seen a card. I don't know if some of the matches are the same or if we're still kind of waiting to announce matches. I, I'm not. I haven't seen a lot about it, but um, if you if you do if if, if uh, Jr. Kratos and, and Jeff Cobb. Um, I guess Jeff is in is doing is doing the G one, so he probably can't be there. But I'd be interested in in your thoughts on, on some of those guys because JR Kratos is someone who works out here, and Will Will Hobbs, who is who's with you, uh, he and he and JR and Jeff, they you know they they were sort of wrestling in the same areas all the time. But that that blood sport thing, it's so interesting because it gives you a little bit of a different look at pro wrestling and certain guys who have legit you know backgrounds in, in in fighting, they, they come across uh, very believable. So, uh, you know, at some other point, maybe maybe we can talk about that. Um, okay, so let's get back to this UFC show. Uh, so UFC 253. I want to get your thoughts on some of these fights here. We'll, we'll just talk about the main card. Um, do you follow... Like, when you're watching UFC, are you watching... Like, all of the fights? Like, are you watching, like, the early prelims and the prelims, or are you just mostly watching main cards?
0: Uh, well, it depends on the day. I mean, if I am have nothing to do and I'm bored and it's a Saturday, I might watch, like, I might have it on all day, the prelims, the whole thing, depending on what I got going on. You know, I might throw it on and just go about my other errands I got to do. But I always usually sit down for the main card or, you know, I mean, there's so many cards now that it's like, sometimes I'm not familiar with anybody except the main event. Right. And maybe, you know, I mean, I'll skip one here and there if it's like, I'm just really not, nothing's sticking out at me, but if I'm busy, but if I got nothing to do and I'm at home, I'll at least always throw it on just in case, you know, I mean, it used to be, like, uh, Saturday nights. You know, sometimes it'd, like, be on the road at house shows. Sometimes it'd, like, go to BW3s and watch or something. But a lot of times it'd be, like, in a passenger seat with, like, R-Truth or whatever. And I'm, like, on my phone watching the pay-per-view. And I'm, like, I lost signal. Oh, my God. But, you know, like or, – or, like uh, – or like, oh, like, I've been in and out of signal, and I'm like, okay, the main event's on. We got to pull over the gas station for like until this fights over, and they're like, come on, man, we got to get to the next time. I'm like, just fucking wait fifteen minutes, man. Like, just don't know what, or like, or you'd have to wait at like one a.m. It would be like we start at ten p.m. At one a.m. It will go to the replay, and then sometimes it'll be like, okay, I'll just remain spoiler free until three thirty four in the morning when we get to the hotel room, and then I'll sit and watch the show. Wow. And then I'd be up to like, you know, six in the morning watching the fucking show. So it all just depends on the day and the time or whatever, you know?
1: So the reason why I ask is because the three fights on the undercard, um... If you are not watching some of these prelims, you may have missed some of these guys, and and I thought it was pretty interesting. Like uh, the opener it's scheduled to be the opener, you know, with with the pandemic and and COVID nineteen fights sometimes are, are pulled at the last minute. But we have the card as of like you had said Sunday night. Um, like someone like Hakim Dawadu, he the last show that he fought on, he fought in the opener of the whole show, and now he's on the main card. So it's pretty interesting how, you know, they put some of this stuff together because if, you, if you're if you not really familiar with some of the prelim stuff, people may not be aware of, of who some of these guys are, which at some, you know, to some extent, it, it's not a bad thing because you can see someone like Dawadu. and if he's impressive, then you're like, oh, that's a new guy who I'm now gonna follow. But I just thought that was kind of interesting when I looked up and down this card. So uh, Dawoodoo is uh, facing... Uh, Now, this is where I needed Justin's help. He was going to help me with some of these names. Uh, Zubaira Tukagov. And uh, if you've watched both of these guys fight in in the UFC, they've been very impressive. Dawood is 4-1 in the UFC. Uh, Both are unranked. Tukagov is 4-1-1. And Tukagov is probably best known for being part of the scuffle with uh, Conor McGregor and Khabib, he was in the mix on Khabib's side, and I think he even got suspended uh, as as part of this. So they're going to open up the show. Um, like I said, Dawudu was the was in the opener on the last show, which was UFC, UFC 244. So he hasn't fought since then, and now he's on the main card. He's he's a very calm fighter. He can be explosive at times. I, I feel like he can be a little bit too patient in the fights that I've seen. Where I'm just like, come on, like you know, if you're a little bit more aggressive, you could put this guy away. Tukagov, on the other hand, uh, he just uh, knocked out uh, Kevin Aguilar in February. Left hook, overhand right, then just teed off. Very impressive. And I imagine he's going to try to wrestle here with Dawudu a little bit. But how familiar are you with these guys, and, and what do you think about this one?
0: Uh, not at all till this week. Because like you said, and it's not uh, anything against the, the people or their star power or anything, It's especially this summer, there's just so many fighters and so many cards and it's really hard to keep up with everything and keep everybody to remember everything and be familiar with like literally everybody like to watch every single UFC card this summer from top to bottom. That's a lot. That's a lot of time invested, you know, and if you don't get paid to cover it, that's it's hard to pay attention to everybody. So in doing my research, for this the, the, this is the lead. This is the fight. I'm the least familiar with the uh the fighters uh from what i got like i don't really have much to, to add to this as far as a prediction if i had to make a prediction if i had a bit money i would put uh, uh our boy Zubar. i'm not i don't want to butcher his name but uh, <laughs> zubara uh, i'll just call him zt uh, yeah uh i mean he's a better record uh more experience, uh seemingly uh, seemingly a more diverse game uh with the wrestling and so forth, whereas this other guy seems to be, uh, when I've seen more, just a just a Muay Thai kickboxer guy, very patient. you only got fifteen minutes, uh, and if you're gonna get taken down, you know that that time just will evaporate really quickly. So, just based on those simple facts, that if I had to put money, I'll go on our boy ZT. Uh, fun fact: he his his MMA debut. Uh and I believe he's I don't know if he trains directly with Khabib's camp but he's involved with them he just said he's involved in the controversy and so forth but his MMA debut was in a one night 8 man tournament old school wow and he won 3 fights in one night and won the tournament that was his very first MMA night where he won, he won 3 fights in the same same night so this dude's uh he's a bad motherfucker and uh I mean I got it, I can't make a very educated prediction, but just based on the the facts that I have. If I had to put money, I'm gonna go with uh, ZT here.
1: So bet online. Uh, I'm using bet online for the odds here. Bet online has this at even for both guys. Uh, you got to bet. Uh, it's minus one ten for both guys. I'm gonna side with Dawadu, and uh, you know maybe we'll keep track of these picks to see how we do on the show. Um I like Dawudu I I think he's got like a, a a look he's got that sort of star look um he's going to be uh I think he I think he's uh is he from is he's from Canada I believe Canada And so you know UFC uh, they, they aren't as, as big in Canada as they were maybe, maybe with GSP, but I like the fact that, that, uh, you know, he's Nigerian and Jamaican, but he he's from Canada. So I, I, I like the, um, I like the chance, you know, if, if he does something, you know, that they can, they can put him in, in fights in Canada and maybe he becomes a little bit of a local draw there, but I just yeah, think he's, uh, I believe he's from Western
0: Canada too.
1: okay. So uh, so he is, uh, like I said, very impressive, looks Looks impressive. Technically, he looks sound on the feet. The thing that I just wonder is just the aggressiveness and kind of the, uh, you know, him, him wanting to kind of get in the mix. Uh, a couple of times And I think it was the fight, uh, uh, not the last fight, but the fight before that, uh, he fought a uh, uh, Japanese guy, uh, Yoshinori, uh, Yoshinori Hori. And Hori was quick. He was kind of dancing in and out, and he. I think he kind of. It, it took um, Dawudu a little while for him to figure out Hori, and then he did. When he did, he he knocked Hori out, but he he took he took some shots that I was like, "Why are you taking that shot? Like, how, how have you not figured that out?" So, I think he's he's kind of young and and kind of on the cusp of, of maybe breaking into the top ten if he gets a win here. So I'll, I'll go Dawudu just to just to go uh, the opposite of you, uh, so we get a little bit of uh, rooting for for guys. Um, so then the, uh, the next fight here is, um, it is, a uh, Ketlin Vieira against Shijara Eubanks. I think people probably would have seen, uh, Eubanks. I believe she's a, t- uh, the ultimate fighter, uh, fighter. Uh, Vieira is four and one in the UFC and is the seventh ranked, uh, in, in the bantamweight division. Eubanks is 13th in, in the bantamweight division, um, Viera's first loss was her last fight against Irene Aldana who will face Holly Holm sometime next month. And the fight was fairly even but uh uh she got caught. She got caught with a left hook and and just went out. A pretty pretty impressive fight by Aldana but Viera was in there uh for most of it. Eubanks is 4-2 in the UFC and she just fought on the 12th so you're talking about a turnaround of just a couple weeks, uh, she's a replacement for Marianne Renault who pulled out, and she beat Julia Avila on the twelfth. Mostly just takedown and wrestling. Uh, I think the wrestling probably would be a stalemate, and it could just be about the striking. And to me, when I watched fights of both recently, uh, Vieira has a little bit more power. Uh, her striking is a little awkward and and maybe stiff, but she does have power in her in her right hand. So. Uh, I'm going to take Vieira here. Um, I don't. I don't know if she will stop Eubanks because Eubanks is is a tough woman. But I think I think she will do enough damage to win this fight. What about you?
0: Uh, I'm going to go the opposite, not just to be uh, the opposite, but it's a quick turnaround versus a long layoff. Mm-hmm. So Vieira, why they were like 12 and 0 or 11 and 0 until she finally got knocked out. So. I don't know much about her, you know, or mentality or anything like that, but it's all about, you know, that can like ruin somebody or that can uh, uh, galvanize them to come back even better. So she could come back better than ever or she could be afraid to pull the trigger. And she has been off a long time. And, you know, the uh, weirdness with the pandemic and everything and the environment, no crowd, she'd never dealt with that before. Whereas this would be like the third time this year that Eubanks has been here. So she's, she's in a groove. She's like, and she's new to Bantamweight because she was at flyweight before and had trouble making the weight or whatever. But it seems like when she came to Bantamweight, it's like one of those situations where like, Oh, we found the weight class you're supposed to be in. So it's like, she seems to have the momentum. She's in the groove. She's found her weight class. She's on rocking on all cylinders right now. Whereas Kayla Baird is coming out of a long nap. So, uh, I just, just based on that, you'd think Eubanks would be able to kind of just uh, be in her face right off the get go and like Eubanks would be like or excuse me, Vieira might be like might take her a minute to wake up. Mm-hmm. You know, she's been off for so long. And whereas whereas Eubanks has been in the been on a roll. So I, I would go with Eubanks just based on based on those factors.
1: To your point. Vieira has been in the UFC since October of 2016, so we're coming up on four years here in the UFC, and this is only going to be her sixth fight, so she is not fighting a whole lot. Lots of time in between fights. Even before the last fight, it was like over a year and a half, so yeah, not, she's, she, she hasn't fought a lot, and like you said, Eubanks is, is fighting fairly often here. Um, and then this should be a fun one. <clears throat> I'm actually uh, very interested in this fight watching fights from both guys. Uh, Kai Kara-France against Brandon Royval. Um I I was I, I was so <laughs> I was having so much fun watching Kara-France uh, uh in his last fight against Tyson Nam. And I think Tyson Nam just won on Sunday. So uh so you know he he he's kind of getting it, getting that win back, but uh, he's really small. He gets really low. He's constantly moving forward. He was just constantly moving Nam back and back and back. Nice little counterboxing on the move. A little showboaty uh, as well. Uh, you know, I think that division is, is such a, you know, you, have, you can have such great fights in that division, but it's hard for uh, stars to be made at one twenty five for whatever reason. And Car France has got a little bit of a personality where, you know, if he is, if if he if, he's a, if he becomes really good, he he might be able to do something there as far as that is concerned. Uh, Royle, he just recently beat Tamelia. I think that's his first UFC fight. Beat him with a triangle choke, arm triangle choke, uh, in a really good fight, fast paced fight. Royle isn't great on his feet from what I've seen, and you know there's not much out on him. You know he just had that one UFC fight, so some of it may just he maybe just a bad night. But uh, you know he really kept pace with Elliott's wrestling, and then got in the position for the uh, fantastic submission. And, and that's his game is a submission game. So interested in your thoughts on this one. And I wonder if we're going to be on opposite pages again. Uh, well, going back
0: to what you said a minute ago, like the hard to make stars in a flyweight division, I feel like part of that. And I, I thought this years and years and years ago when the flyweight division first started watching like Demetrius Johnson versus John Dotson is that they're so fast. There's nothing to do with their size. Obviously, Demetrius Johnson's you know on the list of potential greatest of all times. He's so good and so fast that it's almost like it's hard to understand what's happening. Like there's so, so many punches being thrown and so many ducks and dodges and weaving in and out and stuff, and everything is happening so fast that it's almost like it's hard to. And like if a fight is even, it's hard to if you're, especially if you're a casual fan, you know. It's almost hard to pay attention to what's going on, as opposed to like two big heavyweight sluggers like Roy Nelson Nelson or something like that, where you can clearly understand what's going on. You can tell when a big shot lands or whatever. But like sometimes flyweights are so fast and crisp that it's it almost happens so imperceptibly that you can't even make sense of it. Yeah. Does that make any sense? No, it's 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 very similar. where I was like, I have so much respect for Demetrius Johnson, but it's almost not fun to watch him fight because it's happening so fast I can't process it.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. very similar with boxing at those really light lightweights as well. Unless you have a really big hitter, then it becomes pretty interesting. And they haven't—I I don't know—I I can't remember a really big hitter at at one twenty-five uh, who 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 could sort of distance himself from the rest of the pack. DJ did it in a much different way. Whereas I think a lot of people saw those fights so one-sided and really not entertaining instead of MMA mastery, which is what it was for a lot of those fights. But yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, I, I do, but I do think there is an opportunity, you know, for someone that's, you know, in that weight class to just kind of show out. And I, I, I mean, I, I'm really interested in this fight because I think car France has a really great personality and just a great style that if he is the goods, he could possibly, you know, become something. But uh, who, who do you have for this one? Uh, I'll, I'll take Kai for this one. Uh, uh, interestingly,
0: you know, maybe that goes to, you know, you don't see a lot of power at 125. I, I believe, I hope I'm not wrong on this, but it seems that he has no finishes in the UFC. <laughs> no, has not finished the fight. So it, no, every, only gone, yeah,
1: everything is only gone, to gone three three decision.
0: decision. Yeah. Only, only one loss, but, uh, he's got, he's really fun to watch he's got a lot of experience. Uh, like, and, uh. Compare that to Brandon Royval, who is really hard to find anything on. He did the one fight with Tim Elliott. But the interesting thing about him is a few months ago, he was working at like a correctional facility. He was still working his regular job. He literally just quit his job. He was working a full-time job and training on his off time up until a few months ago. So this is all – he's – He's super excited right now. I just seen an interview with him. He's super excited because he's like, fuck yeah, I don't have a regular job. My job is full-time training now. I'm a professional fighter. So he's super early in the game. Like he Months ago, he was clocking in for the 9 to 5. So this is all going to be a big, crazy experience for him. Now he's on a main card of a pay-per-view. He's going to fly to Abu Dhabi. He may never have traveled internationally before and the, the jet lag and all that. I've wrestled in Abu Dhabi and a million countries like that, and it, it screws with you. You wake up in the middle of the night, you can't go to sleep, but your clock gets all screwed up. I think they're they going to fight at a weird time in Abu Dhabi, I think, so that it can be live. But So it's going to be a big experience for him, and that might be a big uh, – it might be kind of a culture shock for him to like be in this big main card and on a plane to Abu Dhabi three months ago, I was working a regular job. Uh, he's just got less experience. Kai Carter, Francis, he's, he's fought in at least 13 countries over quite a number of years. So he's used to the, the travel and the experience and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, besides everything else, he's with city kickboxing, which that whole team is on a roll right now. And, uh, uh, Israel Asani is also on this card, so they're going to be coming in as a team, supporting each other. The whole team will be there. They'll all be team city kickboxing all the way, so with all that support behind him and all the factors, I can't see... Uh, I mean, you never know, but I, I don't think... I hope it's a good showing for Brandon Royval, but I, I don't think that uh, this is his night.
1: Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you on this one. Um, I think the, the striking... Is uh is going to be the factor here, um, I I I don't know uh, too much about Royville, like you said, but I asked uh our UFC insider Ryan Frederick who also writes for the Wrestling Observer. I just asked him, you know, what do you know about about Roival? and he just said, you know, not great on the feet, but very good on the ground. Seven of his eleven wins by submission. So if he could get uh, uh, Kai. There, then you know, then then it could be trouble. But I, I, I just, I, I'm going to lean towards, like you said, the experience and what I saw from the the uh, stand up game, and uh, what I saw from the stand up game from Royval. So I'll 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 stay with you on this one. Alright, so that leads us to the last two fights. Dominic Reyes against Jan Blakovich. Uh Reyes is six and one in the UFC, number one ranked light heavyweight. Uh, Blakovich is nine and five, and the number three ranked heavyweight, though. That record of nine and five, he's on a roll. He's won seven of his last eight. Uh, he knocked out Corey Anderson with a beautiful short right hand uh, in his last fight. Uh, and uh, after you know that that seven and one comes after uh, losing two in a row, uh, and then he just you know went on went on a bit of a roll. So uh, at the, uh, and, and he you know he's not a young guy. He's been fighting for a while. So Reyes, uh, we I think everyone saw the John Jones fight. That was uh, that was his biggest uh, sort of his coming out party in a sense. But before that, he uh, he knocked out Chris Weidman, uh, lit him up straight left hand. And then yeah, and then the Jones fight would do. Uh, how did you have that Jones fight, by the way? Um, I already knew the result when I saw it. So, oh, OK.
0: But looking at it. Ray's won the first two. I believe the third was really close and Jones won the last two. So it's, I, I don't, I look at it like Jones won. Reyes didn't do enough to take it away from him. And if that fight had gone on for, if they did, after the fifth round, if they said, okay, we're just going to keep fighting until the finish, 100% Jones wins. Like Jones was gaining steam. He figured him out. Reyes was gassing. If that fight had gone any longer, it wouldn't have gotten any better for Reyes. To me, Jones won, even though I could, if you want to score it like that, I got no problem with that. Super close. I mean, that's another kind of, like, quintessential argument about, like, scoring in in MMA is, like, do you score it like you would a baseball game? Or, like, okay, let's see if I get this right. Like, okay, we score eight runs in the first inning. Mm -hmm. And then for the next seven innings, we don't even get a hit. We get completely – we suck. We get shut out. And every single one of those innings – You score a run and a run and a run and a run. And then we get to the ninth inning. Now it's eight runs to eight runs. And, but then you get one run in the ninth inning and you win nine to eight. I probably screwed up that math. does, Does that make any sense? Like, where you can, we dominated the majority of the game, but like, we're counting your runs that you got at the beginning toward the end. Whereas at the very end, does that make any sense? Am I completely out? Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. Like I, at I the at makes... the end of that fight, Reyes was fucking done. He was not beating John Jones.
1: He so g- I, I, He was
0: gassing. Jones was taking control. It wasn't going to get any better. So when the clock ends, do you give him the points that he scored in the beginning? Like the way you would in a baseball game? I, you know, that's just kind of like, 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 for instance, like a Nick Diaz fight. Nick Diaz doesn't think he's ever lost a fight ever. Yeah. His last three fights with GSP, Carlos Condit, who I actually think he beat Carlos Condit, and Anderson Silva. But he didn't get knocked out, he didn't get submitted. He didn't give a fuck about your scorecards. He's like, why aren't we still fighting? We should have he's like, we should have fifty rounds, not five rounds, you know, like let's just keep going until there's a finish. So that's kind of a I guess kind of a existential argument about like how scoring is. But the the point is, I don't believe he did Quite enough to win, even though he came as close as anybody has came. If they fought again, if Reyes and Jones fought again, I think it looks just like the second fight with Gustafson. Mm, I think this time, I think this
1: time Jones takes him apart. So and I look not, back, and it's not even competitive. I look back at my scorecard for that fight, and not not really a scorecard. I was just kind of writing about it, and and uh, uh, in in li- in lifetime, and I, and like you said, I had. I had him winning the first two rounds and I also had him winning the third round, but it was a close round and I had Jones winning the last two. So technically by the scorecard, I had Reyes winning three to two or, you know, 48, 47. But in my notes, I said, even though technically I have Reyes winning this fight, I think Jones is going to get the decision because of the fact that a lot of times in fights like this, You know, you're looking for something that shows that the challenger is rightfully taking this fight from the champion. And I think that's sort of natural, even though, according to the actual way that you're supposed to judge a fight, like that shouldn't factor at all. I just think the human side of judging, which is John Jones has won all of these fights, he's never. You know, really, except for maybe one or two times, even have been close to losing. Thus, what I'm seeing here is a close fight, and I don't know if I could justify giving you know Reyes the fight. I do think there's stuff that goes on in judging like that. So yeah, I mean, I I, I had Reyes winning, but it was like so close that you couldn't really argue. Uh, either, uh, if he did win and you couldn't argue if Jones won. So it was kind of like, yeah, that's sort of expected that to happen.
0: So yeah, I'm kind of glad that he, that the decision went to Jones because even though, you know, I've been rooting for somebody to be Jones forever, you know, you want somebody to have that moment, but it's like, I don't want it to be like that where like he was getting beat up in the fifth round and you're, he won based on the points he scored in the first round. But like, as this, cause it's not a game of how many people can score the most points in a su- it's a fight and at the end of the fight he was not kicking john Jones' ass he didn't kick jones's ass so he shouldn't get the belt in in kind of a there's one way to look at it you know but i mean it, but it's but it's a sport it's not but if you look at it like a fight like i don't know it's just an interesting discussion about like how fights are scored or whatever you know i, I don't know
1: that's, yeah. And, and, you know, they're, they, they take the scoring from boxing, which has historically had problems similarly to the UFC, but there's just more rounds in boxing. So you, you know, you don't get as, as many uh close battles like you do in, in MMA. Yeah. But for,
0: okay. the, for this fight, I'm rooting for Ray Re- or not, excuse me. I like Reyes, but I'm not rooting for Reyes. I'm rooting for Jan in this fight as a fan, not anything against Reyes. But clearly, because only because Reyes lost to Jones. And I feel like if Reyes wins, it'll be like another one of those kind of like unfinished storylines mm-hmm. where like he's a champ, but he's not really the champ. Mm-hmm. Like it took that was a little weird when DC was a champ because even though DC's like one of the greatest, it was like, eh, but he didn't beat Jones, you know? And like, but Jan never fought Jones. So at least if Jan's a champ, Jan can say, no, I'm the champ, undisputed. Well, you never beat Jones. Well, Jones didn't go fuck with me. That's why he left and went to heavyweight. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that, that yeah, feels when, that feels better to me. It feels like a more complete, rounded out storyline for me as a fan. You know?
1: Yeah, I mean, when when he knocked out Anderson, you know, John was there, and it didn't. The fight didn't happen, but you know, he was calling him out. So, uh, I, I think Reyes is going to win because I think he's just a little bit more slick. Um, I think he's going to be able to. Um, Win, win, win the rounds. Maybe not definitively. Maybe not spectacularly. Uh, but I think he's going to fight a smart fight to win this belt and to be uh, the light heavyweight champion. I, I'm, I'm not sure that this is going to be a great fight, but uh, I, I do think you know. I, I think the slickness and I think the, you know, just the, obviously he, he's also a little bit younger. He showed that he could go the distance with Jones, so there's a little bit of a feather in his cap there. And uh, and I think he'll I think he'll get the decision. Uh, this is uh, I, I mean, I'm really good. At, I'm really interested in this fight. But just like I'm trying to think of it stylistically in my head. And I'm not sure this is going to be a fantastic fight. But, you know, when you're fighting for a light heavyweight title, a title that John Jones has won and, you know, whoever wins, Jones is probably going to have something to say about that. But uh, I, I do I do think Reyes will at least pull it out.
0: I I agree that I, I don't know why but I feel like this, there's not gonna be a lot of fireworks in this fight. Yeah. Like Reyes said, he was like, I'm glad I got to feel what it's like to go for five rounds. Now I know how to like because I gassed out. Now I know how to like pace myself and so forth. And but part of the thing that makes him so good is that he's aggressive. And like he was head Jones in the first round. He was yep. chasing him around the cage. Oh yeah, he knocked him down. And that's kind of I feel like that's him. So it's like, will he be himself? Or will he try to go like, okay, now I'm going to be different because I know what five rounds is like. So is he not going to fight like he normally would and just relax and go out there and be himself and do his thing? Is he going to like get in his head and try to like conserve his energy? Or is like Jan has more experience. And the, look at his record. It's like it's got a winning record. And there's some losses in there. But it's like win by submission, win by decision, win by knockout win by decision, win by submission, loss, win by knockout. So it's like, he he can knock you out, he can submit you, he's, like, it could be any, he's got a lot of weapons, like, anywhere the fight goes, like, he could potentially win. So, I think Reyes is like, one submission, but, I just feel like, more well-rounded, more experienced, more, like, depending on where the fight goes, like, I just feel like Jan's gonna either like grind it out in a decision, or even end up with some kind of like submission late, like in the fourth round or something. Like they get they get on the ground and he, he just got more tools than, than Ray. Look, has. he's got
1: power. You know,
0: he dude. He, I was thinking that today because he not when he knocked out fucking Rockhold and Corey Anderson with yep. like short punches. Oh yeah. No, he didn't rear back and put the whole kitchen sink into it. Like short punches, knock their fucking dicks in the dirt. So like he's got power. So like if he tags you,
1: that sucks. And, and so. that's sort of why I think Reyes is going to fight smartly because he knows if he if they get on the inside like that and he does get hit with that kind of shot, not great. So he could use his kickboxing. He could he could keep his distance. He could strike from uh, from afar rather than get caught with something like that so that's why i kind of think it, it might not be a great fight and and if reyes uh you know kind of moves and and uses his his uh not 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 even a certain style but just fights smartly he probably feels that he can he can win by this decision if he's thinking you know now i know what five rounds feels like i could, I could train for that he probably is thinking you know that i need to get this fight deep and then i have him at, you know if i get it deep so this next fight is super interesting because you have one fighter who is uh, just uh, just an amazing um, you know fight of the night caliber at all times, and then you have uh, Adesanya who can fight in exciting fights, but also strategically he's very slick. He's not gonna you know he's not gonna take too many crazy chances. Uh, they both fought Yoel Romero, and one of those fights was a fight of the night. And one of those fights was whatever the opposite of a fight of the night was. And this is Adesanya's second defense of the middleweight title. Costa's uh, a number two contender. So I'm, I'm just wondering as well, Like I, I don't know if I can envision what is going to happen here because of the, the styles that both of these guys have.
0: Well, it, it seems really obvious but sometimes you never know what's actually going to happen once the bell rings. Uh, Adesanya, obviously, counter-striker, you know, a lot of, you know, there's all this trash talk going into it. So, like, is he trying to provoke him psychologically? Because the big problem with Real Romero is that he didn't come after him. He didn't at engage. All. He just literally stood there and uh, led to, and he had to pick him apart from the outside and got his decision. But, you know, he he or nobody was really happy about it. I don't think that him provoking him psychologically with all the trash talk and all that, you know, saying he's on steroids and he's going to pop for USADA and all that. I don't even think that's going to make a big difference because it seems to be that's how Costa fights all the time. And his trainer said, we're if he stands still, we're going to take him out. And if he backs away or runs, we're going to we're going to hunt him. That's what we're training for. That is admittedly the game plan from Costa's camp. They're going to hunt him. So it's going to be no different than any other Costa fight. He's going to chase his ass down and try and put him into the cage. So what seemingly plays right into Adesanya's Mm -hmm, hands, mm -hmm. they're both super confident. I feel like both of them truly feel like they're going to win this fight. By the way they're talking trash, by the way they both – both of them so have won this fight. Like – that none of them I don't think there's any gun shyness. I think they both truly believe like they're going to win for their reasons. Uh an interesting thing I was watching Dan Hardy break this down earlier. An interesting thing he said was, you know, despite, you know, his uh physique and his intimidating appearance, you know, Paula Costa's not really a murderous puncher. He's got a bunch of TKOs, but he doesn't have any knockouts. So he overwhelms guys with volume. A lot of times they're not even Accurate shots He's hitting you on the shoulder And the elbow Whatever But it still hurts And guys are like Going unconscious As the ref is stepping in And they're hitting Mm the mat He didn't just Clip guys Like a Tyron Woodley One shot Knockout thing And uh, Out of sign He's probably gonna be aware of that So he'll probably be willing To get hit a little bit So like He's gonna back him up To the fence immediately This is an interesting thing So like He's very basic Paula Costa. A lot of, like, winging lefts and rights. He's like a young young Vanderlei Silver, a young Vitor Belfort. And Izzy's a lot taller, so it's going to be hard to level change, really, or to get out of, you know. So he's going to have to do a lot of playing the matador and try to stay off the fence. Because if he gets up if he gets up against a fence, which he's likely to get at some point, he's not going to be able to level change and get out. He's got to pick one way or the other to go, to the right or the left. But Cost is throwing a right and a left. So it's like... You got to pick one or the other. It's either a right or a left shot getting swung at you. You might get out of the way of one if it's timed perfectly, but you're probably going to get hit. It might hit you in the guard or the shoulder or whatever, but it's going to it's gonna hit you. So he's going to take some physical abuse in this. Unless he can stay totally just play the matador and the bull and not get pushed up against the fence, he's going to get hit. Because the, the volume of Costa is just – it's so much, you know. But – uh It'd be interesting if he doesn't have respect for his, like, knockout power. You know? I, I, I don't know. But, I mean, I don't want to get fucking hit by Costa. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, another thing is... Uh, do you do you think... I got my notes here. They look like... It looks like a, a fucking ransom letter from a murderer. I can't even read my own handwriting.
1: <laughs> do, you know, another,
0: you- another thing, like, psychologically with Arsanya is, like, he's taking that... that the loss... To, or excuse me, the win against uh, Romero. He wanted to fight Romero. He called out Romero. Nobody wants to fucking fight Romero, but he called him out because he thought he could beat him. But he thought he would easily counter strike him, possibly take him out. But it turned out to be kind of a, a less than exciting fight in a lot of people's eyes. He really took, he didn't like that. You know, he took, he was very upset about it. You know, it was, blamed Romero of being not wanting to fight, whatever it is. But he's looking at it like a loss. That's how he's viewing it.
1: It's like, so this, it, is what, this is what this I was going to ask you, which is, do you think he's putting a little bit of pressure on himself to have a better fight, a more entertaining fight? It's a pay, He's a main event of a pay-per-view again. He probably doesn't want to hear all the media and all the fans complain about, you know, oh, I can't believe I paid for this fight. I wonder if there's some pressure that he's putting on himself that could make him, you know, may, maybe be uh, a, a little bit more... Uh, in the way of some of Costa's shots? A hundred
0: percent. I mean, because he he said it himself. I was watching a thing earlier and he was like, you know, everybody's got to come back from setbacks. You know, I was watching a thing where, you know, McGregor came back from his loss to Diaz and he came back and he won both belts and he, you know, he used the loss as fuel. And I'm thinking like, dude, you didn't lose. You beat Yoel Romero. It wasn't (laughs) a loss. You know, it was a kind of a frustrating fight for you, but it's not even like you lost, but he's looking at it like, He's using this as fuel to have an even better performance. And I think he's if he wants a guy to come at him and counter strike him, I think Costa's gonna come right at his ass. But he he makes guys miss, like to like super highlight slow motion shit, level shit where, you know, the for video packages and stuff where dudes just and that's the thing. The first like three minutes is going to be the most interesting because you know a dude he comes out swinging, trying to push him up against the fence, swinging big haymakers, and he's missing. When guys start missing in the first couple minutes, then they they have to make an adjustment, and then like do they go to to grapple? Do they go to wrestle? Do they uh, change it? Whatever? Do they, do they get frustrated? You know? So it really is like it's like a toss up. It could go one way or the other. Like you know exactly what's going to happen, and just. Does, is it the bull or the matador? Like, who, who gets it? But I, I talked to a guy. I won't uh, uh, name him just in case. I don't want But I talked to a guy who's a professional kickboxer. A very high level. And he told me Adesanya is going to absolutely embarrass Costa. Like, make him look fucking stupid. Like, he's going to completely just make him look like a baby out there. He's just going to completely outclass him. Embarrass him, piece him up, and it's not even a, it's not even a question. It's going to completely embarrass him. So, I think about that, you know. But also, when you look at, how I don't know, it's just when you look at Costa, man, you know, he's that ferocious. He's that, that volume. I don't know, you know. I mean, I, I, I definitely lean toward, uh, definitely lean toward Adesanya, but, uh, I mean. If he's that aggressive and wants it that bad, I mean, anything can happen. It's a fight.
1: Yeah, I'm going to lean on Asanya as well. I do think he's the better fighter. I do think he is going to have a better game plan. And, you know, the thing that does kind of get in the back of my mind, though, is just this willingness to prove himself uh, after that fight. Uh, You know, Anderson Silva had similar terrible fights because, uh, you know, uh, of sort of the matchup And, you know, people get mad at Anderson Silva too. And, you know, Dana White would, 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 uh, I think there's a famous uh, couple, maybe even more than one, you know, press conference where he was just so fed up about it. But at the same time, I think Costa is the perfect person for him because he's going to engage, he's going to move forward. And like what you said, you know, possibly even play right into his hands, Um And Costa probably thinks like, look, I can knock this guy out. So, uh, this is what, this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah. And like the thing about uh,
0: Adesanya punishes you for overcommitment. Right. And And everything Costa throws is 157% committed. Yes. So like he's going to get hit, you know, but you know, I wonder if, uh, I wonder if the, the strategy, the best strategy for Costa, because Adesanya's thinking like, okay, finally a guy who's going to engage me and I'm going to counter-strike the fuck out of this basic idiot and I'm going to fucking make him look stupid. I'm going to be in the Matrix doing back spinning elbows and fucking hit him three times before he hits the ground. What if Costa pulls some Romero shit just to, <laughs> fu- just, just to fuck with Adesanya and doesn't engage him? And then now I'm just, speaking theoretically you know what if he doesn't engage me pulls the romero shit and then adesanya is like oh god i'm on pay-per-view again and my guy won't engage me and then he gets like oh would you just fucking come to me and adesanya gets out of his game right you know i wonder if that would be a strategy costa would employ i mean that would i doubt it from based on everything we've ever seen from him but i mean that could be some mental warfare going on there you know so if you if you wanted to piss out of off and get him out of his game in the first 10 seconds just literally do what Joel Mero did and just stand there right and just see what happens I mean you could I don't
1: so when when you have have you looked at any of the lines for any of these fights yet anything enticing for you to bet on i, I have the uh, the bet on lines the lines are the ones that I'm up but I don't I, I imagine they're probably a little bit different from what you you can see in Vegas
0: uh no, I haven't looked at any of the lines yet I I should get into betting online because it seems like it's much simpler. And uh, um, especially, you know, nowadays, the more you can avoid going to crowded places or whatever. But the casinos are pretty safe. Like, they got them all, like, they got all these rules in place, you know. Like, anywhere I go, if I go to a grocery store, if I go to – I fucked with COVID before. I ain't fucking with it again. Yeah. And I go to a grocery store, anywhere. I'm like a social distance ninja. I'm (laughs) – I'm doing barrel rolls in and out of aisles. I'm staying five feet away from everybody. I'm avoiding, if I see somebody come up the way, I turn back the other way. I'm like, I'm avoiding everybody. I'm hand sanitizer. I'm in and out. Like I don't get within six feet of anybody when I go somewhere, but I I like, I like to do old school. I like I like to have the physical ticket in my hand. Uh, I like to pay in cash. You know, it's just, you know, it's more fun that way. I'm not a big gambler by any means. Uh, when I first moved, to, when I first moved to Vegas, I was—I like, would never been here before. But I got in a cab and was going to like a hotel or something. First day here, and the uh, cab driver goes, "You gamble?" I was like, "No." And he goes, "Don't start." <laughs> I've seen so many people come into this town and they left with nothing. I don't even know how to play cards, really. I don't fuck with that shit. But occasionally, I bet on a fight just to make it more fun. Yeah. My rule in general is only better on underdogs because it's not that much fun to bet on a. Uh, favorite, you know, unless they're like, you're a real big fan of them or something. Or if you put a big bet on an underdog, maybe just to even out the risk a little bit, Mm -hmm. maybe better a favorite just in case. But uh, if it's an underdog, that's where you could actually make a little money off of that's worth it. Like if the line is big enough and if I have a feeling about it. If it's Earth, like I'm fun or it's a fan of that person. If it's like Cowboys, a negative 700 underdog or whatever, I'll be like, ah, fuck it, put 100 bucks on Cowboys, see if he comes through. Because if he does, that'll be super fun. The best I ever did was I won four grand on Michael Bisping when he beat Luke Rockhold. Oh, wow. Because I just had like a feeling, because he came in as like the late replacement. the Rockhold gave him no respect. It was all acting all arrogant and. Bisping had this great story, and I just had this feeling. I'm like, man, I feel like magic is in the air. So I think I put like 500 bucks on Bisping, and he had him knocking him out. I won like four grand. That was the best I've ever done. So occasionally I'll do a little bit like that, just to make
1: it a little more interesting. So the tech, the technological problem that uh, our buddy Justin has here—he can hear us, but for whatever reason, uh, his mic is is not working. He just wanted to add. Um, he thinks jan's only chance to win is via KO. He thinks otherwise. Reyes is going to win. Uh, he thinks uh, Adesanya is way more versatile, way more options to put Costa away, and he thinks Adesanya will be surgical and pick him apart. And he said the only way Costa wins is with a crazy KO. So we're all sort of we're we're we're, we're pretty close to uh, the same idea on those fights. Um, so. I guess last thing is uh, I just wanted to read off what with uh, the bet online odds were. I, th- I think we're sort of your your feeling on who's the underdog and who's favored is uh, is probably right on. But some of these odds are a little bit closer than I thought. Uh, Adesanya is a, a minus uh, one seventy two. Costa is a, a plus one forty seven. Uh, Dominic Reyes looks like the heaviest favorite um, of these uh, main card fights. Uh, he's a minus two sixty five. Blokovic uh, Bl- 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 is plus two twenty five.
0: No respect for Jan,
1: right? And uh, uh, Kai, uh, Kar- uh, Kai France is uh minus two thirty. Royville plus one ninety five, and then uh, Vieira minus one seventy five. Eubanks plus one fifty. So, and and, sure. and I already mentioned the Dawadu and and uh, Cherkov, uh fight. So. Um, all right, man. So, uh, that is it for the preview. And, uh, did you get your, did you get your fix of talking MMA? Yeah,
0: man, this is pretty fun, man. Just, it, yeah, this is fun. I actually, uh, you know, I prepared, I wrote terrible, illegible notes. I am sure. Uh, I was about to
1: say about. like, w- when's yeah. the last time, uh, you, you, you did research and studied up on something for like for outside of like a, a test or something?
0: Well, I mean, a lot of times I do it just for, That's just kind of the fan I am. I just I just enjoy this sport. It's it's interesting to think of all the different angles, to think of like their mental state coming off their last fight or the Mm -hmm. the location or the different intangibles and just see it all play out. You know, I just find it also interesting. I kinda tend to do all that research like on my own anyway, just for fun. And like if I walk into a TV or something, like if there's a lot of people who are like fight fans I know or whatever and if a bunch of stuff happened that day or that morning or whatever, I'll, I'll like corner them and be like, dude, you see the new, you see this fight coming up? Like, and I'll be like, let's talk about it. You know, and I'll just corner somebody and force them to talk fights with me for like, you know, so, so this is fun. is not, not a, not a, like, you literally, if you just fucking knocked on my door and been like, hey, man, you want to talk to fights? I'd be like, okay, come on, sit down on the couch. That's bullshit. So, not hard for me at all.
1: No, that's awesome. And the the next time you're, like, uh, you're at a gym or you see some fighters, you got to you gotta kind of sidle up to them and ask them some of the psychological questions we were wondering, and it'll give you give a little more insight for the next time.
0: Oh, yeah, especially, like, the dudes that are, like, uh, more experts. Like, I used to fucking bug the shit out of Bobby Lashley. Cause he like knows a lot of guys and trains with a lot of guys. So I'd be like, yo, who should I put money on dude? Like, what do you think's going to happen? Like, give me the fucking dirt, you know, like. Uh, I do shit like that all the time.
1: No, that's awesome. Uh, okay. So that is it for here. So I hope people enjoyed that, you know, a little bit interesting, get to listen to John Moxley, talk UFC and MMA. And, and, uh, and I thought that was really cool. Uh, so for John and poor Justin, we'll have to figure out what happened to Justin. I'm double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out.